Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the official Cello Toys podcast on Grapple Arcade. I am Pablo, and I have with me today's guest, a huge expert in the world of FMW and someone who's going to talk with me about the new Ornita figure, which will be coming to the Wrestling Megastars line from Chella. I have with me Stephen Jackson. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing really well, thank you. Um, I'm very flattered that you said I'm an FMW expert. Um, <laughs> it, it means a lot to say that. Uh, mega mega fan, uh, fan of you know Ornita as well, uh, his career. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it and thank you for having me on. Oh no, uh, thank you honestly because uh, we did an episode last week where you know and Lance is great and uh, but his knowledge of Onita isn't amazing and mine is zilch. So you know and that's the only time I'm going to say that because Foxy, uh, another co-host, was just like, "You'll keep talking about how much you know, how little he knows about Onita." You're going to help me with this. You're going to make me understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if it was the Warlord, I would have been sorted. But uh, you know, but I said, you know that. The fact that, you know, Chella are making such a wide range of names, it it speaks to how much they care about wrestling and how much they want to appeal to a, a wide range of fans as well. And those figures are done with a lot of uh, a lot of love and care. So we before we get into chatting about Onita, I just want to let everyone know that uh, the pre-order for Gangrel, now we said the 14th of February, which is Valentine's Day. Now, that obviously hasn't happened, as you may notice, so I do apologise for that. Uh, apparently there was a delay and I don't know yet whether the uh, pre-order will be up by the 15th, which is when you're listening to this show. Uh, do keep your eyes peeled on uh, cellotoys.net for all information and their Instagram, etc. Um, I've seen, and I think this is coming up today. And again, I do apologize if it doesn't, but uh, I've seen the actual uh, figure now and it looks amazing it lives up to all of the, your expectations as my cat sonny comes into the room makes his appearance uh, as he does on every episode um and i've also seen a, a a mock of gangrel as well which is very exciting as a huge huge brood fan um anything gangrel related uh ticks all my boxes so yes Keep them peeled and obviously all of our pre-orders, etc. And I'll give you a reminder at the end of the, the uh, show as well, cellotoys.net and all of their corresponding social media outlets. You should uh, definitely check them out. So yes, Onita. Now the figure got uh, unveiled last week uh, to widespread praise uh, because now you can make those dream matches happen and recreate some amazing matches as well. So before we get into... Onita's uh, career, uh, the figure itself, when you saw like the, the blueprints of it, what were your immediate thoughts? I thought it looked brilliant. Um, I thought it was a fantastic um, sort of representation of uh, Atsushi Onita and his, you know, famous FMW attire and his, you know, uh, white vest and, you know, his sort of, um, his facial expression as well of kind of a, um, sort of snarly attitude you may say and just that kind of rebel attitude it looked it looked brilliant it looks great um and a definite tribute to him during probably the most successful period of his career and the period which made him into the star he is and the legend he is today so i, I don't think they could have chosen a better um period of of onita as well to um you know showcase him as a performer i think it looks great and also as well, uh, it's going to be 
uh, a bloody figure as well, which is very rare in the action figure world, wrestling action figure world generally. Uh, so, and if I love that Tippy does an amazing job with the blueprints, he even put blood splatters on the blueprint as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. so you know, and and look, I, I don't know, I'm just throwing, throwing it out there because Charles usually has a heart attack when I nearly give away stuff. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, like with the Al Snow figure, which has variations of the, the head shaped box, etc., if there's maybe you know blood or barbed wire, etc., on the uh, Onita packaging, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Charles, if you're listening, I think that's what the people want. So, um, so yes. Uh, so, I mean, that just to, you know, chat to you as a fan as well, when did you discover Onita? And was it in line with, did you discover FMW first and then it was all the wrestlers thereafter? Or did you discover the wrestlers first? Um, like many of us, it uh, came during or through watching the uh, wrestling channel. So when... Uh, Early 2000s, the wrestling channel began here in the UK. Um, they acquired lots of um, international and, you know, England, well, British, and showcased a lot of it, one of them being FMW. So I found, because, you know, at that time, um, obviously, you've seen WWE and WCW and stuff. And then there's this wrestling channel with all these different promotions. And FMW was one of the promotions which came on the listings and it was kind of like um, a crazy revelation that you know, was that <laughs> I mean I'd seen hardcore matches and I'd seen like you know um, sort of not even F matches per se but I'd seen yeah, I'd seen like hardcore matches no disqualification matches but not like you know barbed wire death matches not like exploding <laughs> cage matches or you know like um all, all this you know f- f- um i mean we'd seen the inferno match what was crazy enough but you know literal rings on fire and stuff like that it was just insane you know and bonita was one of those guys who was part of the roster when i saw because i think they went through various periods of the company so Anita was one of the guys who was on a lot of the programs that i watched um, along with uh, his uh, uh, rival, I say rival and uh, fellow roster star Hayabusa, who also Cella have a um, figure for, which is great. Yeah, and um, from FNW. So yeah, it kind of he he um, Onita was part of a wide group of FMW stars. But then when I got the internet and was able to look into it more and learn more about his history and that he was basically the owner and the figurehead of the company. Um, yeah, kind of then, uh, and his uh, his influence on the Japanese death style, deathmatch style of wrestling, he kind of was, you know, the figurehead. So, it's you know, it's exciting and kind of his legacy has carried him from that period on, you know, as I mentioned earlier on. So, yeah, it was a kind of a mixture of the two, really. So, obviously, very influential, and it, and it could be said that, you know, Lance said on the, on the previous episode that, like, ECW probably wouldn't have happened without their influence, certainly. And the Attitude Era would not have happened without ECW's influence as well. Uh, so yeah. Onita as, um, as the boss and the booker, I mean, were there ever, um, what was he like as a booker or as a, as a boss generally? Were there ever rumours about him that he was like maybe putting himself in the featured matches and all that kind of thing a bit too much? Or was he very sort of giving to, to the roster? Um. I think he he definitely didn't go into 
I wouldn't say went into business for himself. Other people may disagree. Mm-hmm. He came from all Japan pro wrestling and he, he from a, being a, a young boy and stuff, and he'd learned with Giant Barber, who was obviously a figurehead of all Japan pro wrestling. And I think he learned a lot about what makes a show work and what makes a show successful. And I think because he was such a big star at the time and he was on he, he got injured uh quite early on so he had to adapt his style of wrestling and when he went down before he got injured Anita he was in um Memphis and he saw the hardcore style and he wanted to bring that back to Japan but then kind of um I don't know ramp it up a notch <laughs> see how far he could take it you may say yeah um I think he would I mean the thing is he was fair in a sense of that you've got to look at it this way that he allowed a lot of wrestlers who wouldn't necessarily have given uh, been given kind of prime billion on something like, you know, All Japan or New Japan, um, uh, a platform to be able to become, you know, famous from. And he was putting himself in that position as the fan favourite because people wanted him there, you know, and he drove... Similarly, if you look at sort of, you know, like the Hogan period or, you know, like the Ric Flair period of the 80s and stuff, he drove people to FMW. You know, he knew his company and he knew how to get people across. And, you know, he he main-evented the first six anniversary shows, which, and then the crowds got bigger and bigger and, you know, the, um, the spectacle got bigger and bigger. So he definitely knew how to get the most from his product whether he was fair or not in terms of his business i haven't seen the dark side of the ring episode yet uh-huh. which i know they did an fmw episode which i am really excited to watch and he was interviewed directly um so i don't know fully i know that there was falling I'm, outs here and there i'm gonna say i'm sure but, he was completely honest as all promoters yeah. are <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think there was a lot of i think the thing is as well is that um in terms of money and things fmw kind of um made lots of made a lot of capital in a you know in a short period of time and i think he you know knew how to capitalize on that he knew his audience and you know they were huge in you know kawasaki where they were based you know the anniversary shows and the growing of stars and stuff it was definitely a alternative and i think he much like we say about Paul Heyman and ECW, but he was presenting an alternative which was not seen in Japan at that point on a grand scale of that kind, you know, the hardcore style. Um, yeah. It's kind of, because you mentioned Memphis as well, in all throughout the 90s, I mean, the only deathmatch stuff that I ever saw in like early on was when they were promoting Cactus Jack in the WWF and they used the, the King of the Deathmatch stuff. Um, yeah. And there would be the odd little clip here and then. It would be I mean, it would be insane, unlike anything else. And it, it's crazy to think that WWF, knowing what they're like now, would show some of that footage on Raw uh, back yeah. then. But, um, but the, the thing is, I mean, in, in the 90s, I always... Because ECW, with it being an American company... Um, and having reach over here as well, that people usually said that Paul Heyman took a lot from Memphis himself, whereas really it was, you know, um, it was uh, Onita who was actually more influenced and then in turn influenced Paul Heyman. So it, it kind of, it feels like 
to the more casual fan that FMW are kind of left out of the equation, which is probably not fair. Because, I mean, Memphis, obviously, you know, the Tupelo concession stall uh, uh, fight and, you know, Honky Tonk Man calls himself the grandfather of hardcore because he was involved in that. Um, I would love to see Honky in FMW. I think that would be quite a a style clash. But, uh, yeah, I think... Were FMW, I mean, from, from what you know as well, because they're still not, I mean, Dark Side of the Ring, I think, has probably helped this quite a lot, but they're kind of probably not known as much as New Japan, All Japan, uh, etc. Oh, you know, to yeah, the casual not, fans. Not, yeah, not all. Um, I mean, like, this is, the, the thing with FMW as well is that, um, you know, it, it really wasn't, um sort of you've you've got to think that like you know you've an, an outcast in a sense in that you know you're going literally against the grain you know no real kind of um especially today like you just said about pg and stuff and you know like i know we saw in AEW we saw the whole like exploding barbed wire match if you want to put it in inverted commas uh-huh. but it's not to the extent of fmw fmw is a lot more um sort of violent in that sense. And I mean, Onita himself has said in interviews that he wanted, if he could, he he wouldn't mind if he died in the ring, hence the name, the death match essentially, is that you would think that someone would die in like a a barbed wire, exploding, timed bomb, (laughs) you know, fireball, whatever, you know, they're ridiculous, (laughs) ridiculous matches, but... Yeah, I think FMW kind of, because it was kind of that literal underground punk rock sort of promotion, it is kind of forgotten about. And I think it's because as well, um, with things like All Japan and New Japan, it's a lot more um, easily accessible in terms of, you know, you've got New Japan World now where you can see a lot of the, um, you know, uh, matches and, you know, All Japan kind of, was tape traded a lot more, I think, at that period. Whereas FMW, I think, was more of a kind of, um, I mean, it will have been tape traded, but not the extent of All Japan and New Japan. I think you had to kind of be there in a sense. And I think it was literally one of those pop culture movements. And Onita was very much like of that independent mindset, I think. I think he kind and I think he still is. I think he's very much uh, his own his own man kind of thing, you know. Um, and it's just bizarre to think that this independent promotion would be able to sell out a baseball stadium with 37,000 <laughs> people. But it's because of the spectacle of what they were putting on. It was like, to, and you know, totally different to what people were seeing. And, they were, and the other thing as well is with FMW, what people forget is that, especially like Anita, but there was like, there was women death matches as well. Like it wasn't just the men who were doing this. There was women as well. And obviously Joshi wrestling is huge over in Japan. So when you've got women involved as well, which normally didn't happen on, you know, men and women wrestling in Japan isn't normally shown um, on the same show, whereas Onita was kind of mixing that up as well. So he did do a lot of things what were against the grain and it definitely isn't known as much, but I think that's just because of a bit bit like with the, like you said, the censorship of like the Astrid era and um, times changing people's attitudes change and people's responses to different things change, you know, and levels of violence and what's acceptable changes. 
it's more of a spectacle in times in, in terms of like a horror show as opposed to a wrestling show. Let's put it that way at times. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like you know, again, it's for those who may not know FMW that well. How would an an average show? Well, it's kind of a two parter. How would an average show be booked? Would there be long term storylines? Uh, would it go into that? like soap opera realm at all in terms of like say relationships all that kind of thing or would it just be two hard lads wanting to you know break each other and when fmw started i mean did they just hit the ground running with really violent stuff or did they kind of gradually build it because i guess there is that kind of once you go so far there's nowhere else to go yeah um the, the, to answer kind of the first question there was kind of a lot of um the storyline elements brought into it you know there was a lot of um you know uh, although it was built around the death matches and stuff there were feuds what took place like you know there was um absolute well Anita and you know Taz and Goto um they were very famous rivals and then from there they kind of built up from their first barbed wire match the um organization so you know, you're bringing guys in like, you know, uh, there was Mr. Pogo um, and there was guys like um, Kentaro, can, uh, can, I, can I pronounce his name? Kenny Mura, <laughs> Kane Mura. Sometimes I can pronounce the Japanese names and sometimes I get lost. Um, but he also brought in a lot of, um, he brought in Masato Tanaka, um, who was famous in, obviously, in ECW. Um, and then he also brought in sort of like Gaijin. So he was bringing in guys like Mike Orson, for example, who was massive, known as the Gladiator. Um, and, you know, there was then an opportunity for, you know, so those those characters were then built around different storylines. And, you know, it was kind of a mixture, really. Sometimes it was based around the traditional sort of um, one-upmanship or, you know, like a, a traditional storyline feud, whereas other times it would be a lot more a case of, you know, like you said, who's the who's the hard nut and who's gonna, you know, build into the crazy kind of um, you know, main event scene, which, you know, nine times out of ten was always some form of a of a death match in the sense of, you know, some something either exploding or some kind of barbed wire or some barbed wire exploding, you know. And it does sound cliche, but it kind of when you are building up to something and it is the um it is the focus of the show, then it does, you know, have an appeal to it. Um, in terms of hitting the ground running, they, they kind of did, yeah, because um, Onita, you know, basically was looking for a complete alternative after he was um, injured. I believe what happened is, is that he, um, I think he injured his knee or something, I think. I think he, I don't know, because he was a junior heavyweight, and then I think he, um, well, he got a lot of injuries, but I think it was mainly his knees because if you look at him when he's walking, he doesn't walk as well as he could do, and I think it's something to do with his with his knees. So he was kind of looking for an alternative, and one of those was at the time you had things like um, UWFI, which is a lot more like the shoot style of wrestling, and like um, a, few, a few years later there was pan, Pancras, Pancras, as people refer, refer to it, but you know, like more this kind of shoot style of of wrestling not necessarily strong style but more kind of like the early days of MMA yeah. so Anita wanted to kind of mix that in a little bit and then you know he looked at that and they built a show him and um, the martial artist uh, Masashi uh, Aoage they kind of built a little feud going on and then Anita kind of 
created this, um, you know, promotion under, well, he promoted it under FMW, front, which stands for Fronted in Martial Arts Wrestling. So they had another two matches, himself and Ayo Age, and then he built the promotion from there. So it became a mixture of like, you wouldn't say necessarily like traditional wrestling, it was more like fighting, like, you know, like sh- more like the shoot style style of wrestling and fighting, and then there was the hardcore element to it, so the death matches and stuff like that. So it was more of an, um, you know, sort of a mixture of the two. Um, and it did, it just kind of hit off, you know, I think because at that point as well, um, there was such a, I think there was just a niche there, what he thankful, like I just said earlier on, he capitalised on, there was nothing like, you know, FMW anywhere. And he was able to get all of these interesting people together. And, you know, you get people in like FMW later on while he was there, you know, you get Chris Jericho, you know, you get, um, you know, Mick Foley, as we mentioned earlier on, mm. um, you know, you get the great Sasuke, another famous Japanese wrestler, um, even uh, doing an, um, doing a, he didn't wrestle, but he took part as an, um, this was just after Onita's period, but um, there was even Shawn Michaels, who was one of the guest referees at an FMW show for a Hayabusa match. So yeah. it definitely had an appeal to it, what definitely appealed. And yeah, there was like interpromotional feuds and stuff. So you'd get like FMW against Michinoku Pro, which was Great Sasuke's promotion. And you'd get like, um, you know, FMW against Wing, um, which is another deathmatch promotion and stuff. IWA Japan, which is what Mick Foley was part of in King of the Deathmatch. So there was a lot of fluidity as well. You know, there was no kind of, um, there were contracted people, but there were also independent wrestlers who came in and out. And that was cool as well, because it did allow for that kind of revolving door of talent. So you could have people coming in and out, people returning and stuff. So so yeah, there they were storylines and they did hit the ground running. Um, and they definitely hit a niche or a zeitgeist what was otherwise would have been missing in Japanese wrestling. And he knew what he was doing and he made a lot of money at the time from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And with, you know, the impact that they had in uh, that, FM, um, that FMW had, um, it didn't seem like there was much uh, collaboration with like the, the big American companies uh, as much as there was with, as much as there was with New Japan, etc. Like, were they just purposely seen as like the redheaded stepchild sort of thing? I think they were in a way. Um, I know that when I've looked online and like I said, it may be mentioned in Dark Side of the Ring, but I know that um, there are photographs of uh, Onita um, shaking hands with Vince McMahon in about 94, which is very bizarre. Yeah. Yes. Well, he was, <laughs> I Vince... believe it's... Be- Sorry. No, no, carry on. No, sorry. Well, I know Vince was in Japan in 94 for a Tenru's company, the... Um, oh, Wrestling the Romance, War, yeah. Wrestling Romance, yeah. And they did... A, I mean, because yeah. him and Tenru went back a, a, a good few years and Tenru made some WWF appearances and uh, the... The '94, because I've, I've got a lovely program from that uh, from that tour, um, so it, it wouldn't surprise me. Like I, I liked Vince when he's like sort of wrestling promoter Vince. Like he kind of remembers yeah. once in a blue moon that he is actually a wrestling promoter because there's pictures <laughs> of. Um, I'm sure there's a picture of him with um, with uh, well, there's pictures of him with Baba, and uh, yes. you know there's uh, pictures of him with oh god. Um, Oh, that's going to do me heading. Um, mask with horns. Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> this is where, like, I'm having a granddad moment here. 
Um, <laughs> oh, just retired. Liger, bloody hell. Oh, Liger, yeah. Yeah, don't write. Don't write in letters. I do actually know what. <laughs> I'm um, yeah, but there's like you know Vince, you know, well respected in Japan, probably more than people would maybe give him credit for. But that's that's really interesting yeah. that he was, um, you know, even remotely connected with FMW or Onita in some way. Yeah. I think it's because at the time, during the sort of dark years of WWF and, and that period you were talking about where they were over in uh, Tenru's war promotion, yeah, they're a much smaller entity. Um, they're not a, you know, an all Japan or a new Japan. I think they they previously tried to build up relationships, as we know, with, um, you know, there was uh, SWS and they kind of ran a couple of shows in the Tokyo Dome in kind of the early 90s. But because... A lot of the talent, they were losing revenue, I think. And he saw FMW was kind of an alternative in terms of um, they were building out a company, sorry, they were building out a niche for themselves. They were driving people to big arena shows. They were making money. Um, I'm I'm only guessing here, but it's just kind of what I've kind of read and what I would probably presume. But... Um, Vince probably saw that as an opportunity to look and see whether there was any opportunity to get a you know collaboration going. But I think probably the big sort of um heel breaker probably was just that the uh although they weren't death matches on every show, uh sorry, death matches in every match, sorry. When you've got a promotion at that time, you know it much more than me with your expertise, uh Pablo, but the WWF wasn't necessarily you know, you couldn't really have like Bret Hart going out there and, you know, wrestling in a, like I said, a barbed wire exploding, you know, <laughs> electrified alligator, you know, piranhas, deathmatch, whatever they might be. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well for your company. And, and, you know, like obviously the sensors and stuff like that. So that's probably what I think. Um, I think in terms of like their actual, the, the business, as you got back to earlier on, like in terms of like collaborations and stuff. I mean, obviously they worked with ECW and they influenced ECW later on. Um, mm. oh, sorry, they, they influenced ECW and worked, worked with ECW later on briefly. Um, I think as silly as it sounds, um, a lot of people were very daunted by the prospect of working with guys of that, level of violence I think because it literally was like you know violent stuff you know you're going out there and if you could sign a disclaimer saying that I might end up severely injured as any wrestler does but you know the thing is is you know you take it to another level when you've got um like I said barbed wire nets and glass and you know nail boards like you know boards of nails like you can't even fathom stuff like that you know like it, it, not not like we're not talking thumbtacks we're talking you know Boards filled with nail, it, it like, and I think a lot of talents were very cautious of getting involved in that, um, unless you'd had that experience. Which guys like you know Terry Funk and as we know, like we mentioned Mick Foley, um, had and you know a few other people um, like Abdullah the Butcher and things who influenced on each as well. So I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think it was kind of a. A, a bit of both, I think, in that they wanted to be an independent entity, but also people were a bit wary of getting involved um, because they didn't really know what they were into. Because when you do watch the tapes, even now, you won't see anything very comparable. 
and do it, I don't think, in terms of its presentation and in terms of what they were doing. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's definitely an interesting part of Japanese wrestling history. Definitely mm. period. And, you know, like you're saying, 94, specifically, I mean, Vince was working with Smoky Mountain and Memphis and um, other companies as well. But by 95, I think he, the visceral hatred that he received in Philadelphia at King of the Ring when people were chanting ECW, I think it got to a point where he couldn't ignore it. And that was definitely a turning point in terms of them eventually deciding to become a more adult-oriented you know, program. And there's no reason why by 98, 99, they wouldn't have worked with FMW. But I think because WWF by that point were the hottest thing on television, they probably didn't need to at that point. Not that FMW needed it either. Um, no. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those like, you know, uh, circumstances and times and all that kind of thing. And I mean, one wrestler who immediately comes to mind when you talk about American wrestlers who went over there, Corporal Kirshner, who became Leatherface, yeah. um, who yes. passed away recently. Um, I'd heard the story. I mean, you could probably confirm this or not, that even he was too violent for FMW. The thing that I'd heard, now again, this may not be true, was that he wrapped barbed wire around someone's neck and started standing on the barbed wire. And even that was yes. like too much. And they were like, don't come back. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. true? Um, uh, I believe there was some kind of... Um, altercation involving um barbed wire i don't know whether it was true that it was too too violent i think it was probably more that um because the thing is is that you know you were saying earlier on about um as a booker and things like that and his uh, onita's sort of um i don't know reputation with his talent i think one of the big issues was that sometimes people were um you have to have a level of trust out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes people took advantage of that. And I think what he, from, from I know there was a, it was a, like a bed of nails or something. And like, it, it kind of, um, it, it basically was a, a thing what went wrong. Um, oh. And it was something to do with like a bed of nails. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of a, very much a, you know, almost a, a bit like, um, you know, like when uh, in, GCW recently, where with David Arquette and um, and Nick Gage, if people know the story, where they were in the death match and it's like David Arquette against Nick Gage, and there was a, a light tube and the light tube kind of hit Nick Gage. Sorry, not Gage, hit Nick Gage, hit David Arquette in his neck. Yeah, um, and he could have bled, <laughs> could have bled to death. Very similar to that, I think there was kind of, and because you've got to remember that it was kind of a level of um language uh issues as well i think there was a lot of um times where people were kind of uh struggling with that as well so i think that was one of those instances where it kind of was the wrong thing at the wrong time but yeah for it, i believe it was either a, it was either barbed wire or it was a like a bed of nails or something oh. like kind of or a nail yeah like a nail board or something you know i could uh two by four like nails or something it kind of went something went wrong um, and it and it just was a disaster, um, and kind of it all um, just went in the wrong direction, unfortunately. Oh, um, but yeah, I mean, like as well, he he, you know, it's interesting you bring Leatherface up because again, he's a guy who, you know, from being Corporal 
Kitchen uh, Kirchner then going into FMW and being, you know, <laughs> Leatherface, who's complete character contrast, you know, like, would never have even thought of that. And, you know, coming out with a, um, with his uh, chainsaw and, you know, just crazed and stuff. Um, yeah, it's like, again, taking it to the next level in terms of how far can we push people or, you know, a bit like that. I think they were kind of trying to recreate, I was thinking about this before we actually shot the, recording and you know when you ask me but I think a lot of it as well this is kind of going on a bit of a tangent but I think a lot of it <laughs> it's okay a lot tangents are encouraged yeah. no it's fine no I was going to stay though but I think a lot of it for a lot of wrestlers was um, they were trying to recreate the craziness of uh, Bruiser Brody and the like Abdullah the Butcher thing where Bruiser Brody was just completely insane and fans would just be terrified of Bruiser Brody because he was this big burly dude who would just be little bit half people and they just thought it was and then he did. And I think that's kind of one of the other things as well. So I think people were, or, or like certain wrestlers, because it was so big in Japan, were clambering for that kind of atmosphere again. And I think that's, again, something which FMW kind of brought was that level of uh, fear, but also spectacle, which certain wrestlers held, one of them being Leatherface and then various other people on the FMW roster. Again, one being, you know, Anita, who... Um, was kind of the darling child of, um, you know, he became the darling child of FMW due to his position and put himself in a good way. You know, he the fans loved him because he was an ordinary man who, it seemed like an ordinary man who put himself in these crazy situations. So, yeah, it, it, like I said, I think definitely interesting to see how certain wrestlers responded to the uh, FMW style. <laughs> <laughs> so... I know that uh, Unita had a pretty significant uh, image change as well. Was it his retirement that kind of led to that, or was it another factor? Was it just feeling the need to move with the times? I think it was a bit of both. Um, he had his famous retirement match, which drew the beast uh, house at the time for FMW in 94 against um, Hayabusa, and, sorry, 95 uh, against Hayabusa, which was the famous kind of neural barbed wire cage match which was um, you know the that's again one of those clips where you see and you know the whole uh spectacle and i think from there it kind of you know wanted a change in terms of that was a part of his career he'd he'd closed possibly and then he came back in a much more sort of um you know the leather jacket like he kind of has now you know the leather jacket the you know smoking the cigarette and sort of much more the, the messy hair and kind of more of a heel. I mean, he came back kind of more, and he is still now, kind of he's got a lot more of a kind of swagger to him. He's not kind of the um, jolly baby face he may have been before. He's a bit more of a violent heel, you may say. Mm. Um, definitely a lot more of an attitude to him. Um, and I think, yeah, it was just like changing the times. You know, he'd seen people like, you know, uh, well, Mick Foley as Cactus Jack probably because obviously he was in ECW and uh, you know in that point as uh, in WWF as Mankind things, Terry Funk um, you know and he'd seen that kind of grunge uh, punk rock style come to well, punk, yeah punk rock style come about so yeah I think it was a general changing of the times really with the times yeah that's really cool. So, and, and as well, you know, um, 
you, you, you mentioned Hayabusa. Unfortunately, the Hayabusa figure has sold out. And I think the Onita figure will uh, follow because it, it just makes perfect sense for them to uh, be together on anyone's shelf. Uh, but yeah, it's it's great to like learn more about this um, this stuff as well because you know I did watch the wrestling channel back in the day. Very much missed the wrestling channel. Um, yeah, it, it can't be under, it can't be overestimated how wonderful the wrestling channel was. So I don't think people can understand. You know, we do have more access to everything now, but the wrestling channel was revelation. Uh, you know, it was a revelation. Um, so for you, then, you know, in terms of FMW stuff that has like come out and stuff like that, did you find yourself becoming a bit of a collector, or were you reading books on it? And because uh, you know so much about the history of it. And um, no, no, no kind of uh, books or anything like that. I think just with the advent of YouTube and the internet and the rest of the channel, just kind of this, I think you kind of, certain things at certain points, much like yourself, sort of 94, 96, the WWF, there are things that just touch you in a point of, you know, you've maybe it was the age I was at, like about 13, you know, and, and you know, it's a bit like um, you just want to know more about it. And I think just because it literally was a complete contrast to anything else you'll probably see anywhere. Because what's funny is, is you know, you see like these, I, I mean, you see stuff like GCW, which has come about today, and you see stuff like um, CZW and ECW. They're very um, small in scale in terms of like production and they're a lot more, um, you know, sort of... Uh, independent and i like that but i think there was just something about fmw where it was these big the majority of what i saw anyway i mean they were smaller shows but you know like due to health and safety risks believe it or not <laughs> to the fans not to the wrestlers themselves <laughs> but there is the bit you've got to have a space where all this you know uh sort of these bells and whistles you know off. and I think it just kind of came from there, really. And I think I just, I really gravitated towards Hayabusa because, again, it was a high flyer who was unlike anyone else I've ever seen. Um, and Onita was just one of those guys who, you know, he he's, like I said at the beginning, but he's got an aura to him, which is very much like, you know, um, he does have a legendary aura to him. Like, you know, someone like, he's a hardcore legend, like a Terry Funk or, a, you know, Mick Foley or, people talk about Sabu and things like that you know where he really is like um, just treated like a hardcore god in that sense you know and, and I think we um, he influenced a lot of people um, with what he did in FMW and there are a lot I mean obviously like with stuff like ECW and FM, FMW ECW and like CZW um, he just I think it was that he was influenced by Memphis and Memphis influenced him and that influenced the others. So it was that kind of intrigue more than anything. Um, I would like to have collected tapes and have done all that kind of stuff out. I, I would like to have uh, done all that, but just due to expense and because there, there weren't a lot produced, like uh, original Japanese tapes, it was more just the internet, really. And thankfully, the internet has allowed us this opportunity to see a lot of this stuff firsthand. And there's been documentaries made now. and you know, um, just enjoy it. And thankfully, the wrestling channel opened us myself and you up to so much wrestling and one being FMW. So, so yeah, it's just an acquisition of knowledge, whether it be useful or not. 
<laughs> oh mate yeah i've forgotten people's birthdays and bank account numbers because of the amount of shite that i know um not that <laughs> FM, you know not that fmw shite but like you know it's just when, when you know some people think so some people think so but i can i can appreciate that when I'm you not can, saying that there's a I was going to say, yeah. when you can name like all of Doink the Clown's pay-per-view matches and stuff like that, it's like, do I need to know any of that stuff? But, um, <laughs> but um, so who who owns the FMW footage now? And is it available anywhere officially? Or? I believe it's available anywhere officially. I could be wrong. Um, I believe, well, Anita actually brought, but has brought back FMW, but in a different sort of uh, guise. It's now known as FMWE, which is basically that every match... Uh, so it's Frontier Martial Arts Explosion. So every match is basically an exploding kind of cage match or an explosion match of some kind. Um, oh. Yeah, it's just, it's just you know, brilliant. Uh, so it's like death matches exploding. Um, I think the actual tape library um, wants the... It might say on um, Dark Side of the Ring, but I don't know whether it was sold off or how it kind of came to be. I know that you can find... Uh, matches on YouTube and you can find I don't know if they have full shows but you can definitely find um, you know particular matches on YouTube and um, I think some online tape traders kind of when things were traded originally have them available um, so it's kind of they may get taken down as soon as they get up um, but yeah I think it's more of a case of I don't know that for definite um, but it's kind of if it's there to um no one no one really hold I don't know where it's kind of held unfortunately if no one's kind of holding the uh, copyright infringement or anything you just see what you can find online like I've done over the past years and just see what you can find because um, it's well worth watching just for the spectacle more than anything else because you won't see anything else like it anywhere I don't think. <laughs> Absolutely, and hopefully, I mean, with the dark side episode and. Uh, the the this kind of resurgence of interest and uh, and and a lot of like first time interest for newer fans and the fact that uh, Cello are doing an amazing thing bringing these figures out uh, introducing them to a whole new uh, audience of you know wrestling fans and those who never thought they would have like an Anita or Hayabusa figure on their shelves and stuff like that hopefully this is the start of it and we may see that footage become more widely because when I was when I was a tape trader back in the day um I mean it was largely NWA and old WWF I mean like 70s WWF stuff for me yeah. but like occasionally you'd get like a free tape chucked in of like bloodiest matches or shocking moments and stuff like that so it would never be like full fmw shows but it would always be like the odd clip here and there <laughs> or the odd match and stuff like that and uh yeah that was uh that was something else um i've still got them in the shed i'll have to dig them out um it's been a, it's been a little while because i digitized a lot of it but um yeah i've definitely yeah. still got tapes uh, you know, back in the day, I think I'm sure it was Power Slam. They would like they would openly allow people to write into the yeah. trade and so like highly illegal. <laughs> <laughs> but this was on in a magazine that was on like every shelf across the country, which yeah. Um I think because as well, uh, I've spoken to the tape trader Roy Lucia uh, Lucia um for BBG Wrestling, and you know, he kind of was given lots of tapes as well from or he was, you know accumulating tapes and stuff. Who what my mistake is, but it's kind of what he's done over the years and stuff. Yeah. And I think there are certain promotions like FMW where only particular people 
because it was only available from particular um, sources, we were able to get access to it as well. So it wasn't as widely distributed as other things. Um, like, you know, I think it, um, it wasn't really covered in like, I mean, it was covered in dirt sheets, but not like the, you know, like when you talk about that terrible term dirt sheets, but like, you know, Dave Meltzer wasn't really kind of, you know, reviewing everything like he was all Japan and New Japan and all that kind of stuff going on. So I think that's kind of helped it to have that bit of an aura of, you know, you've got to go out and find it as well and try and, you know, watch it. Um, but yeah, it's always good to see those. I think that's the good thing about FMW as well, is it? There are so many crazy moments, you know, like the equivalent of Mick Foley falling off the cell at uh, King of the Ring 98, that, you know, there's FMW equivalents of what you'll see and you gravitate towards it and think, what's this match? Where was this from? It's very much, and I hope that the cello, uh, the cello figure of uh, Sushi Anita does the same, where people, you know, buy it and you know look at it and then kind of. I don't know exactly what um, info will have on the um, packaging, but it might help people, you know, look more into the history of his career because he's still around and he's still, like I said, doing FMW. So you know, you can still check them out and you know see some more crazy, exploding death matches inside. You know, there was one. There was a clip I saw on Twitter actually where it was their. Um, I think it might have been the first or their second show, um, but, <laughs> but you can tell the times have changed because unlike a fifty-seven thousand seat ba- uh, baseball arena in uh, you know in uh, Japan, it was like this little um, like auditorium, and there was all these fans sat round like a you know like a legion hall like you see like in America, and you've got all these exploding kind of. Um, you know, sort of uh, bombs around the side of the ring, and it's just like it's totally not safe whatsoever. It's ridiculous, exploding barbed wire bats and all sorts. It's crazy, um, but yeah, it's a spectacle, and it's always exciting to see. You know, it's great to see Anita kind of because of this because it's got an attitude to him. And, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting. You know, it's great to be able to enjoy FMW just as a complete alternative. I think sometimes it's just not so fun. And it's not out of the question that like FMWE couldn't make an uh, no pun intended an impact in uh, in AEW because of the outsiders that they brought in from uh, different companies and uh, you know I, I I with some of the wrestlers that work there who've worked there long for a long time as well you know they will have backgrounds of Onita and there's no reason why a bigger audience in America and in the UK wouldn't couldn't be exposed to uh, FMW. So, I mean, you can visit uh, fmw-e.com uh, forward slash en um, if you want to find out more about FMWE and you can follow them. I mean, I'm on Instagram. I'm assuming they're on Twitter as well. Uh, I love on, yeah, they are on Twitter. Yeah. On Instagram, they follow <laughs> no one. Uh, they've got yes. uh, they've, they've got followers, but they don't follow shit. Um, so, <laughs> um, see, when you set the, you know, when you set the... Uh, you know the the mood uh you don't have to follow anyone so um <laughs> so yeah and, and there are t-shirts available at like deathmatchworldwide.com and stuff like that so and also you know do check out like i say cellotoys.net for all updates on the unita figure as i say hibusa has sold out um and you know it's kind of it sorry <laughs> if you missed it you know i wish i could uh i wish i had better news for you uh but uh, you know i've the Onita figure is it obviously going to be a sellout as well. Um, yeah. it, it's going to look amazing, and um, again, you know, there's such a it, it you know, and a niche rabid fan base, which I mean is growing, but it's you know, 
they will jump on anything that is appealing to them. And I totally understand that as well. So, um, and I know you're looking forward to it as well. And uh, yeah, so where can, where can people find your good self? Yes. Um, thank you. So you can find me, uh, Stephen uh, at stj215 on Twitter. Um, I'm not followed by Onito or FNW, unfortunately. It might be after this podcast, who knows? Um, I have been retweeted by him, though. I have been liked and retweeted oh, really? by him, so I can yes, have, yeah, put a photograph at once. So thank you, Onito, if you're listening. Onito, it did mean a lot. Um, and uh, I also um, am the marketing manager and uh, the sort of uh, the content manager of a Japanese wrestling magazine called Monthly Purezu as well. So you can find that on Twitter at Monthly uh, Purezu. Um, so that's exciting as well. And um, yeah, just feel free, please, to just you know follow me, connect with me. Always like to meet new fans um, and just share knowledge. And you know, you're always able to learn something in the world of wrestling. You know, and I always love being able to you know, speak to people and um, just thank you for having me on Pablo. It's been fantastic. You know, it's great to be able to talk about a sort of person in, uh, you know, cause sort of, I love all types of wrestling. I'm not kind of one of these people who shoehorns myself into a particular style. And mm-hmm. FMW was kind of that kind of teenage side of me where it was a little bit more, um, you know, now I look back a little bit and I kind of wince a little bit at it, but it's still a little bit better part of me. Well, it's kind of like, oh, it's exciting. There's nothing else like this. So, you know, thank you for having me on. It's been great. Oh, not at all. And like I say, you know, the, again, it speaks to Chella and the range of names that they're making. Um, you know, I have my areas that I'm definitely knowledgeable about and uh, FMW and Donita and Hayabusa are not one of them, but it's really fun to learn about, uh, about them and their impact in the in the world of wrestling as well so um yeah again for everyone listening out there uh we encourage you to visit uh, cellotoys.net for all information and next week's episode will be the first ever quiz very very excited about this uh i'm rounding the people up uh anyone who's interested in from the cello team and uh we have uh I I shouldn't give, in in case people can't make it, I shouldn't tell you who's uh, said yes and who said no yet, but it's going to be intense. Um, And uh, there'll be (laughs) more wrestler interviews coming up very soon and uh, more deep dives and stuff like that. And as we, you know, more, I don't know who's going to get announced going forward, but I'd imagine there'll be names who, you know, certainly made their splash in Japan in various companies and stuff like that. And I would love to have you on uh, more to delve into those parts of their careers as well. So, um, uh, you know, as even with Bulldog, uh, British Bulldog, he was in Japan um, for a was, little bit as well. Yeah, and, uh, he was, yeah. You know, it, and it's potentially lesser known areas of some wrestlers' careers. So, you know, it would be great to um, get you back on and delve into those unique um, and not very much talked about aspects of their careers as well. So, uh, it was a it was a pleasure to have you on this week, and uh, want to thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the official Cello Toys podcast on Grapple Arcade, and we will see you all next week. Bye.